0: The, the schedule that I put together shows dinner at 5 o'clock. Um, sometimes on the weekends they do it at 5.30. Um, some of us are going right, to, right before dinner, we're going to run up to uh, to Bill's grave and uh, do a little prayer meditation up there, just a couple minutes before we come back. So uh, <clears throat> if you don't have transportation, see us, and we'll see if we can hook you up with some. But uh, anybody that's interested, it should still be light enough to go up there and... and uh, you know, and just thank Bill and Lois for the gift that they've given us. Um, uh, that's something I always do before I start a workshop. Uh, I try to do it in the middle of a workshop if I can find the time, and then I always stop before I leave because I'm never the same person before versus after on this deal. Um, so, what have we done? Uh, Glenn, you're all set up? You're ready? Okay. We've talked about steps one, two, and three. All right. Um, hopefully, well, I want to say hopefully I know that 90% at least or better have had a shift in their consciousness. Something has changed here, and you're not quite exactly sure what. And if you're like me, you're feeling sort of like you're drinking from a fire hose. It's just coming at you, and it's an experience. And sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's not. And every once in a while, you need to come up for a gulp of air, and and you're just w- wondering, oh, who's got a hold of the, the spigot, you know. Uh, I'd like to take a, a a minute and and kind of digress. Now that you've gotten some of the tools in your toolbox, I think we need to talk about and get get a vision, a concept of how to work with these tools. Um, we talked about step one, powerlessness. You know, Mark Mark talked about that that beautiful sentence about above everything, we must be rid of selfishness, or it kills us. As an AA topic, here's another one for you. And I've done this a number of times in meetings. Uh, I go and I talk to a meeting and I, I raise my hand. I say, you know, well, you know, since, I, I usually ask the question, is there anybody in here that's, that's drank within the last week? And you, if there's no hands that go up, I'll usually say, okay, well, since alcohol is no longer our problem, and A is not about alcohol or our problems, it's about finding God, let's have a meeting about finding God. And man, you want to put a chill on a room? <laughs> but that's really what we've been trying to introduce you to. AA is not about your problems AA is not about alcohol if you've gotten away from the physical craving and the mental obsession AA is about the spiritual malady long-term sober if you're gonna make it for long-term sober and ride this pony the whole rice it's about the spiritual malady of finding God the beauty is the byproduct of finding God is you don't want to drink and your problems don't exist and you get happy joyous and free, and all the rest But how does one attempt to do that? We've given you some exercise to show you this truth, but what more can you do about it? One of the things I like to envision is a golf ball. It's got the hard exterior shell on it. If you've ever cut open a golf ball, underneath there's a winding of looks like a giant rubber band. And you pull the the winding off and you you, you weed through that. And I envision that as my character defects and my inventory, my four-step, and my fear inventory. And And you pull it down. When you get down to the very center, there's a little teeny kernel. I have no idea what the heck it's made of. But there's a little thing, like a little pebble inside there. Inside each one of us, we are the golf ball. You know, you know how the golf balls got all those divots? That's our drinking. That's all the abuse we take. You know, those those nine irons whacking on us until we finally get make it to the cup, right? We finally get into the cup, and then somebody plucks us out. God, starts to clean off the dirt and the mess, and you know, well, and then we got this hard crusty exterior, and you got to get down to the kernel. So we start peeling. And you peel off the hard crust, and you start on the unwinding process, and that's working the steps, and you get down to what? What's the true core? The true core is love, that's inside of us. And we talk a lot here about a spiritual mirror. Each of us is just a mirror. If you can get that analogy in your head, it for me it works wonderfully well. My character defects are just fingerprints and grease smudges on my mirror. You know, and am I ineffective if I got some smudges? No. If you get to the right spot and get the right angle, I can still reflect light out. Huh? But you get too many smudges on there, and the mirror starts, the vision gets kind of distorted, you know. And it, you start to, to lose that. But it's, it, the mirror is one of those mirrors, like you see, you know, those security mirrors. It's a one-way mirror, you know. Other people see what's going on on the outside, but from you on the inside, you're looking out through, and you get this vision of what you see and what you think people see in the mirror and what they're actually seeing it may not be what's actually there. They may not be able to see the true self. But when you clean off all the smudges and the dirt off, then it becomes transparent. If I reflect love out to you, it gets reflected right back to me, which reflects back off to you, which reflects back to me. And it's, a, it's an upward spiral. The same way that you can have a downward spiral. I get mad at you, you say something hurts my feelings, I say something back hurts your feelings, and you can have the down. Just ask anybody that's married and they know about the downward spiral. Alright? There's also an upward spiral. Right? Very important concept. What we started you on here is an upward spiral. But there's exercises that we have left incomplete. To continue that spiral, you're going to have to finish these exercises. That's where you're going to truly demonstrate your willingness, is if you go home tonight or tomorrow or next week and you finish these exercises, and you ride this pony, you see where this actually takes you to. You know, There's a lot more to this. Uh, I spoke earlier about a child. You know, you look into the, to the cradle and, and what does the child first thing to do? They, they, they smile back at you with unconditional love. That's the real goal is unconditional love. And what are the characteristics that little kids have? Well, we're, our whole goal in life to get closer to God, I mean, that's like as pure as you're going to get. They've, a child that's a newborn hasn't been defiled yet by the experiences of life. Their ego hasn't built. They don't have that. What do they have? They have unconditional love. They got the sparkly eyes, every single one of them has the sparkly eyes. And that's what we're looking to get back to, is to that child that's within us, all right? Every single one of them has this tremendous love I and mean, everything is new, there's an excitement, no matter what the scenario is. Oh, the diaper's wet, you know? As long as you don't leave them in that wet and it starts to hurt them, they're just as, condemned cadav- they'll play in it, they'll, that doesn't matter to them. You know, oh, stick your hand, we can draw on the walls with it, you know? It's, you know, and what and what do we do? We walk in and go, ah, what are you doing? Because we're judging that act. To them, it's a new experience. It's a new experience. Now, who's to say whether it's good or bad? You know, the closer, and I'm saying that, become go back to becoming an infant, don't become immature. What I'm saying is get back, become more childlike is our goal. To get back to where every day... Whether today's a beautiful sunny day, and I'm sure there's some people sitting here, man, I'd love to be on the ski slope. So they're unhappy. And tomorrow it's going to be a rainy day, and they're going to be sitting here going, man, I wish it wasn't raining. You know? Either way, sunny day, rainy day, they're still miserable. And what are they missing? They're missing the current moment. What What else do little children have? Smiles. It is a pure, direct link to the human heart that cannot be missed. If I smile with a true, honest, love, unconditional love smile, I don't care what mood you're in, it cuts through you like a knife. Now you may be able to close that hole off really, really quick and get the armor back up pretty darn fast. But I've touched you. I've gotten inside your wall. Where did I learn that? Little kids. What else do they have? Laughter and happiness. What does our, what does our big book say? Happy, joyous, free. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. How many people in here... Felt that way when they walked into this workshop. You know? Ah, the traffic, I'm late. What's this going to happen? I mean, there's been at least a dozen people that have shared. Man, I came up here to relax and be slothful. And I didn't know I was going to do work. You know? Man, there's been a shift in those people. Woo! The magic is happening. If you can be in the moment, and enjoy the magic. Right? So the goal is to get back to the little kid. The tools we've given you, the second step proposition exercise, and here's where I'm I'm boomeranging, I'm coming back to the second step proposition exercise, that tool will become extremely important in your life if you can use the tool. The first thing you have to do is be conscious enough to realize there's something wrong in you. It's great to write all this information down and have the card, but if you don't use the card and it collects dust, it's no good to you. You might as well not have even written it. As a matter of fact, it's probably a detriment to write the card and not use it. Because now you've woken up the beast, you know what the real problem is, but you're still not willing to face it. You're not willing to deal with it, and that will boomerang on you and kill you. So, watching is extremely important. Paying attention to the moment, what's really going on. How many people can hear that motor that's running? Did you notice it when it kicked on? Those are the people that were conscious, awake, and aware. Awake to the floor creaking. Awake to the person coughing. Waken to the person whose nose is whistling. You know? Now they're self-conscious. <laughs> if you can be in the moment, there's... I'm taking off my AA hat, by the way. This is my own personal concept, and a lot of people tend to identify with it, but it's something that's it's proven to be so true for me. Human being is made up of four things, all right? There's your physical body, your physical presence, the shell. It's going to stay here when you die. It's what rots. It's, it's your physical being, right? The second thing we all know we've all got is a mind, all right? There's part number two. Have you ever watched yourself think, you know? Or you're doing a math problem one week, because I've had this happen when I was a kid. I do the math problem one week, and I had it, man. I knew that Dang, I got that. The teacher would give you the exact same math problem the next week. You're looking at it, and you're going, and you're, you're watching yourself think. What an idiot. Why can't you, you did this last week and that little voice is going off in your head. Which tells me that there has to be two things up there. Not, there's not just my mind, but there's that part of me that can watch my mind. That's the ego. It's very judgmental. That's the voice that goes off in our head. That's the one that talks to us constantly. Alright? The ego's job is to get me out of the moment. To get me away from the whistling noise. To get me away from that motor that's running. To the heavy breathing in the room, to the peace and the serenity, and it uses two tools, past and future. It'll drag me into the past, or it'll drag me into the future. What you know? What's going to happen in, in 30 seconds, or it'll take me back 30 seconds in the past? And the problem is, it hopscotches back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to keep me out of the present moment, all right? Where is the only place that God can be found that you can be consciously connect, connected to God is in the present moment. Right? And the moment this present moment is over, then you're in the next present moment, and then the next present moment. And if something happens in this present moment, and you focus on it, and you, you've now gone to the next present moment, but you're still back one moment ago. You're not in the present moment again, which means you can't be connected to God. Does that make sense? For a lot of people, that they're be like, a, like I got an eyeball in the middle of my forehead. All right. By the ego focusing on that ex-husband or ex-wife, it's in the past. By the ego focusing on that that next true love, it's in the future. If you can be conscious, awake, and aware to that fact that your ego, because your ego's whole job is to try to maintain control of the mind. So it's gonna keep the mind thinking. It's gonna watch it, and if it's not going the direction it wants, it's gonna throw something out. Here's a piece of past. Go grab a hold of that mind and see if you can, and there comes the hamster on the wheel thinking about the past. And what that dirty SOB did to me, and the divorce, and how they took the kids, and they took the money, I had a conversation with somebody on the break, and he's like, yeah, and my wife, she raped me. She took all my money, and I said, whose money? And he goes, well, mine and God's. And I said, whose money? He said, well, it's God's, but I had a good plan for it. <laughs> you know, he was living in the past. You know, in that moment, he was in the past. Or you can go with the same thing in the future, that job, or when we get out of here, or
1: when I go to make this amend, or whatever.
0: Uh, past, present, past, present, past, present. Excuse me, past, future key is to be in the present moment because that's the only place that God can be. Now, what does the voice look like that the ego talks to you? That's column three of inventory. Right? That's what's really important to figure out and to be able to recognize. Because if you can recognize the voices as they go off in your head, you can say, whoops, time out. I know you. I've seen that voice. I recognize you. That's whoever the voice happens to be If I'm hearing that voice, my ego must be afraid of something. What is the fear? And that's when you can slam on the brakes and go to the card. The card is a great tool, but if you can't watch and know when to go to the card, it's no good to you. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, on the step one questions, there was question number six. Does anybody in here have something written down for question number six that's willing to get up and for us to take a look at what they wrote? Matt, you want to to give that a shot? I got a mic here. You don't actually have to get up. You can stay right there and just grab this sucker.
1: Yeah, I was going to say move away from
0: that. Move away from that microphone. This is where I knew I was going to be a prop. Yeah.
1: Um... I'm resentful at this lady that's running the post-abortion healing group that I'm going to.
0: I thought she took a shot at me last Wednesday. Okay, so this woman, is she name? Teresa. Teresa, okay. <laughs> Teresa's column one, and column two is, she took a shot at you? Is there more, can you be more specific? I believe she took a shot at me trying to convince me that I chose to actually do that, when I really didn't want, I didn't want to make that happen. Okay. So, does everybody understand what he's saying? Well, you're going to have to get in a little more detail about this. Uh, Which I'm not sure, do you really want to go there?
1: Sure. Okay.
0: This is the big thing that's me around right All now. All right, bring it out. <laughs> do you want Do you want me to, the Yeah, the second column. What exactly happened? Because they're going to have to understand the story. Uh, I was sharing the grief and pain that I put my ex-girlfriend through and the child for uh, going through with the abortion 10 years ago. Who's got the other mic, by the way, the cordless? Anybody know where that is? Oh, here it is. I got it. <laughs> you want that on or off? Okay. Good that. Hello. There you go. Yeah, I was I was going through a little bit of catharsis emotionally about the pain that I put myself, my ex girlfriend, and the child through for the abortion uh, ten years ago with my girlfriend. So he's he's going to a, a post abortion healing group where they deal with the fact that you were part party and parcel to an abortion occurring and this the leader of this group he feels took a shot at him mm-hmm. all right that's his column two that's what he's upset about
1: all right something she said to you
0: yeah she had her finger pointed at me and she's like i think you're believing you chose to do that and you really didn't have a choice kind of what you were saying before then. all right everybody square with what, what column two is mm-hmm. all right so what voice is the first voice he's going to hear in his head You're bad, right? But who's the voice? Give us a name for that. It is ego, but ego has a thousand characters. I'm I'm the judge. Ah, there we go. We get a judge. He's hearing, somebody is judging me. Well, wait a minute. The ego's saying, I'm the judge. I get to decide whether I had a part in this and whether I made the right decision or not. You guys see that? very important voice to be able to understand and differentiate. He's hearing the judge. A lot of you were throwing out of your answers, but you were taking it to the nth degree. You'd already followed through the process. You need to be able to pick up. So he can hear the judge go off. man he can slam on the brakes and go right to the car. Who else
1: is in there? Check, check this out. this is the other this is a whole. This is a great one to show the other side of the ego. So this lady says to him that you were involved in the choice around this abortion 10 years ago, right? And what his ego's done is wrapped around that. And I think the reason he reacted to that there's a part of him that absolutely wants to believe he was associated with making a conscious choice around that event. And he's pissed off that she thinks he didn't have a choice. She's taken away his power, <laughs> right? She's a
0: melanin. She's really great. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: but he's pissed off at her,
1: right? <laughs> Pride. Pride. No, no one should see that I'm not involved in making choices in my life, right? right. Ambition. What do you want?
0: I uh, wanted her love and compassion and tenderness at that moment. Yeah. I didn't want her to tell me I was in denial because I don't have that. Now, what voice is that? thats It's a combination of the victim, but it's really a child. He wants her love and compassion. She's like a loving mother, and she want, he wants her acceptance. Can you see that? Right? If you can recognize that voice, he's already transitioned. The judge has already made a decision that this woman is off base, but it's also threatening the fact that this this feeling he's got towards her, you know, that's where the real the, the real rub is in this deal is he's got her up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. He's looking at her and he's like, wow, look at this. And he wants her acceptance like a little child wants from a mother. And all of a sudden she's going like this. You notice he said, she pointed her finger at me. Yeah. I, that's the image I got in my mind, whether she was doing that or not. You little bad boy. And don't you know, you dummy, you didn't have a choice in this. And she's scolding him emotionally. There's another character. In there. So now we got a judge, we got a victim, and we got a little child.
1: Then security. What do you, what do you need to be okay? At that moment in time, what'd you need from her to be okay? I needed reassurance, validation. Right. right. did mm-hmm. get that. See, in the third column, it's where you're literally fighting for your life. That's right. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancy, real, has the power to kill. You're fighting for your life. Who who? Which character was fighting for its life? The little kid, right? The
0: little envious kid who's looking forward, his image is about to be shattered because here's his idol who's about ready to smack him. You know, she's fallen off her pedestal. Either she falls off her pedestal or she's right, and that goes right big. In, it flies in the face of the judge. Does that make sense? Right? Anytime we get a judge, we get a jury. There's a quick little decision in our mind, and we're, we're the judge and the jury. There's also an executioner. Now the executioner says she's guilty. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And now, all of a sudden, he's got to go and make up an excuse in his mind to prove why he's right and she's wrong, but yet she's the idol. Can you see there's a huge conflict? And what does it do? It opens that little box that I'm talking about behind the wall. And out comes this stuff. It starts to bubble. And what does he have to do? His ego's trying to control his mind. He's fighting for his emotional life. He doesn't know what's going on. So he tries to slam the lid back down on the box, but his fingers have little cracks between them. It starts to see through. We call that submarine. You know? You ever seen the submarine movies where the submarine gets too deep and the pressure, and all of a sudden you get all the water come sprays over here, and they go running over and they put their hands over there and it psh, comes over here and you run out of hands? You know? That's submarining. We do that emotionally. And he's been submarining now for however long it's been since he got to here. He's been trying to keep and he's been holding on his own. But what happens when there's more spray than you can cover up? Then it starts to man itself, manifest itself physically and you start acting out. You start doing things your character defects what the ego's really got going on in your mind you start saying things hurtful things so you may run into somebody that you really do care about but you're mad about it, what's going on over here and so you excoriate this person over here you chop them to ribbons with with sarcasm all because you're hurt over here and you can't be able to control those fear and the anger and those emotions over there it's gotten out of hand can you see how that can occur where is the real key to this whole deal being able to watch and recognize the characters as they occur—that is There's a, crucial. There's a key
1: piece in this that that's uh, into this self-love use <laughs> <laughs> is is to pick up on that I've seen so often in my third step is this woman makes a statement to him, which is that you didn't have a choice around that. It's a concept, right? Just like no free will. Well. That, that concept that he wasn't involved in a choice back ten years ago in terms of him and this woman and the act to bring about a child and then the abortion, what that does is, if he the reason he doesn't like that, a part of him doesn't like that, is because if that's true, that he don't get to judge himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she took away his capacity to play God on an action. That he was involved with ten years ago, and there's a part of him that plays God that doesn't like that. Right? So there's there's such a strong judge associated with with this this piece in this particular piece that we're we're talking about. I, real quick, for I, I don't want to forget this. This is this is great. The, the ego's sole function is that you believe that you're separate from everybody and everything. And some of its tools, its its most predominant tool is judgment. Example, a lady came up to break and she said, it's a great question. She said, I really liked almost everything you had to say until you said that you were married and divorced four times. And I can't hear anything you said since then. She said, what is wrong with me? And I said, there's nothing wrong with you. That's what the ego does to separate from truth. Judge, judge. You know, now if I'd have had more time because we were getting ready to start, I would have asked her some questions like, do you really believe I chose to get married four times and divorced? Because that's expensive, right? <laughs> and it's painful. And it doesn't show well in public. And I could go on and on. Now, here's the rest of the story. There's only the will of God. I and those four ladies, all of us, in hindsight, benefited tremendously from those marriages, and those marriages were supposed to happen. But what does the ego do? I mean, there's some people in here. I mean, all I have to do is show hands. How I many of you have been married more than two times? Okay. The path, we don't know what the path is, but I thought what you said was so beautiful to lead into the four-step, because, of course, I've done that for years, right? I'll give you an example in reverse. Uh, the man that, that I call my sponsor right now has been married to the same woman for 28 years. You know what my head says about that? What can that man tell me about him? Like, He's been with one woman for 28 years. <laughs> See, he can't help me. I need to find a man who's been married and divorced four times, but don't do that anymore. You follow me? So there's two ways you look at it. That the judgment still happens, see. I have a judgment about somebody that'd be crazy enough to be the same woman for 30 years. You understand what I'm saying? Here's what you learn to do, and it's back to watch. The judgment arises, you watch the judgment, you don't get involved with it. And you say, well, thanks for sharing. And you just kind of... <laughs> because because you're not involved because you see it's just another tool of separation isn't it right we've all got them and they happen on well, well we'll use our ego uses many things it'll use age it'll use race it'll use gender it'll use I mean the list is endless of the things it will do you see to separate it's constant separation then constant state of loneliness and not you know not a part of those those kinds of things but hey, you had a, you had a question?
0: I had, to me, this is a major question. Um, I've tried to do four step, and, and, and as you know, I'm going to try to do it now. But the four step, I did column one and two, filled them out, I had pages. I'm one of those people. And and then I'd be sitting at home, you know, alone, trying to do column three and four, and went nuts, and basically stopped. And I had a great sponsor, a big book thumping, and I'd go see her once a week and everything like that, and you know, hounding out, and and I quit. How do you sit at home alone in the middle of your disease you know, and do column three and four? You know, I can't call the conclusions. You're coming up and fill them out. For me personally, I don't allow that to happen. Until somebody's got some skills with how to do inventory, they need leadership. They need somebody to show them. Bill and Bob didn't say, well, here's the form. Fill it out and come back and see me. They'd sit down. and, and, and our, If you read our history books, Bob, Dr. Bob was very clear. He'd sit down and explain to you what your character defects were. He'd show them to you and he'd say, now isn't that your experience? I use the short form, which is you'll find in your packet there's one that's even filled out. I let the the drunk fill out column one and column two and then he gives me the forms. And we talk, just like we're talking now. We talk about these resentments. We talk about the areas of self, the seven areas that get affected and how did that affect you. And and I do basically a verbal column three and column four and I'm filling out. I'm writing down the answers for the guy. About column three and column four. And at the time I'm doing it, I'm showing him the characters. You know, when somebody hurts you, the very first person for me that shows up, if he's a man, it's Rambo. If it's a woman, it's Xena, the warrior princess. You know? And where does that go? Now that they're angry, they know that they can't kill somebody, so who shows up next? The judge. The judge is going to make a judgment as to whether this was really an egregious harm that was occurred to me. The judge judges it, the jury convicts him, then the executioner shows up. All right? Just like he had judge, jury, executioner. Right? Well, you can't go ahead and execute somebody, but Rambo's sitting there saying, kill him, kill him. That's not going to work. So he hires a hitman, and that's the person that every alcoholic's got. The hitman will wait if it takes 25, 30 years. I'll wait in the grass until you make the mistake, and then you will pay. You know, That's the hitman. That's the voice of the hitman. You know, It's the same guy. People, Anybody hear road rage? Guess what? Guess who the road rage is? That's the hitman. Oh, if I come up on the right side and I cut over here and I cut in front of that little VW bug and then cut over here, I can go over there and slam on my brakes and man, I'll show him. That's the hit man. And all of a sudden, you're in the move and you're going up and you shift from the slow lane, you go across four lanes of traffic and now you're fast lane, you're just getting ready to slam on the brakes and the guy, the SOB, pulls off the exit and you missed your opportunity.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, are you... Man, you'll be looking for the next three weeks. Every time you drive that stretch of highway, you'll be going, man, I wonder if I see that guy, you know? Those are the characters. I mean, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about the various characters. Everybody's got different characters, and you need to know the characters. Here's my point. What I want to talk about is, and I'm leading into the forgiveness in it because there's obviously some wounds in this room. He was talking about this this event, and he's been whipping himself. Mark talked about it he's been using this abortion issue as a weapon against himself. He's got this hurt and this guilt and remorse over this event occurring, all right? Whether he sees whether he had any power or not at all, he has been using it as a weapon and he's been flailing himself with it over and over. Anybody in this room that's got anything egregious that you have not forgiven, this is what your ego has been using it against you. Um, the jury, the judge, the jury, the executioner are sitting there and they're whipping you with this saying, they did this to you and until they pay... No, you're not going to be healed. You can't give them over to God because they would have gotten away without your justice. Alright? Who is that? There's a guy inside the wall called the emotional banker. He's the guy that charges interest. Now if that person came back to you and said, you know what, I'm really sorry I hurt you, that cancels the actual harm. But the whole time that it took them from, it may only be three minutes from the time they hurt you to the time they came made amends, the emotional banker started the clock. The interest was running. Until they pay off that interest, no matter what, you can say, that's where it comes from, well, I forgave them, but I haven't forgotten. What voices that is the emotional banker. He's the guy talking. He's saying, yeah, I forgave what they did over here, but for some reason, I still don't feel it in my heart. It's because there's this emotional hangover that's left. And it's the emotional banker in there that's charging the interest. Does that make sense? Now, a lot of divorces in here, right? We've been talking about it all weekend long. When someone hurts you inside the wall, there's very few people you let inside the wall, but when you let one of those people, and it's usually a spouse or a child, somebody that you're very close to, that you have the ability to unconditionally love at some point in a relationship. When they're inside the wall and they hurt you, they wound your spirit. For them to do that, a character comes out called the traitor. Very important character for you to understand. Because any time the trader comes out, there's the emotional banker right alongside the with them. And even if you forgive the trader, well, they were out of their mind; they didn't know it. Particularly Alanons, you know, the guy—he was—he's an alcoholic. He didn't—he was drunk. There's, they can maybe they can forgive the trader, but the emotional banker can't be forgiven until they pay off that emotional debt. All right, that's going to become into play as you go through your inventory. The next time you write a four step. I want you to think as you write column three, what characters? Write them down in the margin. What character is talking to me? Who is saying that they, nobody should treat me this way? I deserve better. You know. Is it the victim? Is it the little child? Is it a mother? Is it a boss? You know. And then speaking of bosses, you can have traitors at work. If you have a partner or somebody that's at your same stratus and they hurt you, usually they're outside the wall. But if they're, if they're a boss and you work for them and they turn around and they stab you in the back, guess what? Here comes a traitor. You know, they shouldn't have done that to me. How dare they? And then the whole cycle starts. The whole idea about forgiveness that we're going to get to is to get rid of the emotional banker. It's to hopefully give you some tools right out of the big book for how you get rid of the emotional banker. Because that's really what's wounded most of the people in this room. As you're carrying around this guilt and this remorse. And if you can't turn it on the person who perpetrated the act to you, Who are you gonna perpetrate it upon? Yourself. Because now we're spiritual beings, right? Now there's this this spiritual guru inside of us. There's another voice of the ego. Well, I can't take it out on my wife and my kids and the people close to me. So, but it's okay, I can do it to me. You know, remember the question that I wrote down here that I gave you guys last night? Is there anything about you, where is it? uh, Number 21, do you loathe, hate, abhor, despise, or detest something about yourself? that should touch on the emotional banker and, and some of the harms that are inside you that you're whipping yourself with. And the question about forgiveness should also touch on the emotional banker from two different directions. You guys, can, can you see that? Does that make sense? All right. Yes, ma'am. Uh, give that woman a mic. Yeah. Which tape? The, the tape around oh, the There. There we go. Got it.
1: Hi, my name is Ann. I'm an alcoholic. Hi,
0: Ann. I don't completely understand, or even maybe I don't at all understand, why you're focusing on all these different characters. It's. I feel like I missed a chapter. Like you just launched into this. I'm in the dark. Okay. Here's the. Here's the. The. The Reader's Digest version. We all know what the problem is it's whatever they it's whatever in column two. they harmed me, right? The whole point is to look at our side of the street. We do that by looking at the areas that were harmed, which is column three, the seven areas of self that can be affected. that should lead us to our behavior in column four. Where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened all right. What I did with this second step proposition exercise is we, we circumnavigated that process because we didn't have time in this weekend to go through the whole, how do you do that in the form of resentments and then fears and then harms to the others. Oh, There's a shortcut that you can get to. The real goal of all of this work is to get to the fear. Because if you can get to the fear and get rid of the fear, the fears are what trigger our character defects, right? So if you can get to the fear... Then you can give the fear to God and get to what God wants you to be, right? So the second step proposition exercise was just a way to show you how you can come up with a list of fears in various areas of your life that you've been unwilling to give to God. Now that you've got the card, it's a tool in your toolbox, but how do you know to go pull it out and use it? That's where the characters come in. By doing repeated inventories and writing inventory and doing in your process of your fifth step, you shouldn't just be looking for the harms you've done to others so you can go clean it up on the amends. You should be listening for what voices were, talk, were talking to me. Why was I able to carry this harm for 5, 10, 15 years with me? Who were the voices that were justifying this? what I know to be inappropriate behavior? Now, what I'm talking about is advanced AA here. I'm not talking about somebody that's new in recovery. That's why we ask those questions. I'm operating under the assumption that you've been through the steps before with a sponsor. That this isn't your first set of inventory. I would never take a new guy into this area because his ego will kill him. It's an emotional minefield. But if you've got a couple of years of sobriety under your belt and your program is starting to get a little bit stale and you're going, ah, i write another inventory. What's the point? What I'm trying to show you, there's a mother load here, you know? And it doesn't mean some, some people are dependent on inventory. Some people, they can't get through their life without writing an, a formal inventory once a month or once a week, they're, 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 what I call them, inventory junkies. They've got to sit down and analyze and analyze and analyze and analyze. With the second step proposition exercise, you can shortcut the whole system. You've got the fears if you can be conscious and awake and watch for the characters. And any time, by definition, that you see a character, you must be in a position of fear. Self is threatened. Slam on the brakes and go to the card. Does that make sense?
1: Let me, I think I can help you with this. Uh... Uh, a, a definition, another definition of ego is a mind-made false sense of self. And I'll use the example of, uh, of the lady who described the divorce. The, the, the sense of who I am gets dictated by external events, i.e., uh, in that divorce, first of all, she thinks, She's a wife. She thinks she's a mother, right? The husband comes home and she really thinks there's such a thing as a wife. The husband comes home and says, I want a divorce. What does a wife need to be, to exist, needs a husband. When the husband says I want a divorce, how do you think the wife responds to that? She's fighting for her life. She's fighting for her existence. In one simple statement of "I want a divorce," what he—and not only do I want a divorce, I want custody of the kids—I would say, I would wager to say that most of your identity was tied up into those two states of being. Am I right? Okay, <laughs> okay. She had a job, so you got a career woman. In other words, it defines her. I am a wife, right? This this is why I, I lovingly said today, you know, my wife, right? See, it's it's. It's a way of defining who we are, but it's always coming externally. So that's in the, in the big book, it talks about in that state, what state, i.e. uses the word characters. When the husband says, I want a divorce and custody of the kids, he just said that the wife doesn't exist. He just said the mother doesn't exist. I want to give you an example of how powerful this is, because... There's no reality to any of that. We're in the world to play the role that God Science. It's one thing to play a role that God Science. It's got a name to it, the wife, but there's another to be attached to it. I picked up an article uh, in uh, Houston, Texas. And there was a woman, a uh, socialite type. And the article said what she had done is taken a gun and murdered her two children and then killed herself. And the article went on to say, and here's why. Her husband, who was a well-known... <laughs> Uh, a surgeon in the Houston area had decided to divorce her with another woman. And it went on and used these great words that she was a loving mother and a devoted wife. Oh, and he was going to get the house and he was going to get custody. Everything that defined who this woman is, when he said to her, I want to be divorced, she there was nothing left because she actually thought that's who she was she was fighting for her life to the point of she killed her two children and committed suicide this is the kind of stuff that you look at in inventory this is the tragedy of the ego this is why you can't say things like god bless you go in peace because you think something has now defined you i'll give you an example i use myself to use the ego state if you will i'm i'm an alcoholic that's one right um, uh, I'm a spiritual mystic to be. <laughs> That's two, right? I very much am Rambo. That's three. You know, soldier of fortune, stuff like that. Um, I'm CEO of a company. That's four. I'm a jock. I lift weights. I run. You know, I am my body, right? That's five. Uh, I'm a writer. Uh, that's six. I'll just, that's enough for now, right? Oh, I'm, I'm single. That's seven, okay? The more I am attached to self, self-will. I mean, those are my seven areas. What, how do you think I'm going to respond if something hurts, threatens, or interferes with any one of those seven areas? Because I think they define me. Then imagine this. Imagine this in one day, right? Because, you know, The job's gone. Say you're in a relationship. Say you had that going on. In one day, here's what happens. This recently just happened to a woman I know in AA. You lose the job. uh, The relationship ends. uh, They take the house away. They take the uh, car away. You lose custody of the child. I mean, imagine that, because a lot of times that's happened to different people. And this woman called me, because that's basically what happened to her. It literally happened in about two days. And she called me and said, I don't know who I am. And I said, fantastic. Fantastic. What a deal. But, so I, I hope that could explain a little bit more. So when I write inventory, like for example, under the question in there, who do you resent? I put column one. It's an employee that recently terminated. Her name would be in column one. Column two, why? Uh, didn't perform to her job specification. Which character is affected by that? The CEO, see? Because the CEO, what does the CEO of the company need to be to exist? Needs the company to be profitable, blah, 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 blah. So if you're an employee and I'm trapped in being the CEO and you're doing something that's not contributing to that, I see that as me fighting for my life and you are going to experience me. And not in a kind, loving way. Therein lies the tragedy of the ego. That is a horrible way to live life because your whole day from the time you get up till the time you get home, your whole life is totally dictated by external events. So the purpose of inventory, when I write inventory now, I say to myself, which stage character character is mad? Which stage character has been hurt, threatened, or interfered with? And as soon as I identify the stage character, it is so easy to write my third and fourth column. They just flow right off the pen. And let's, let's throw a little twist on that. Let's say the person that he f- has to
0: fire is a friend of his, because they met in the program. He got her the job, and now she's working for him. Now here's another twist: the CEO is fighting for his life, and the friend is also fighting for his life. Especially if she's in the program, because now you've got this colluded relationship here. It's, the relationship is clouded because you've got this program connection. You know, you've got these this, this, this fractured loyalties, and who's going to win? If he's Going into that asleep, I guarantee the right thing is not going to occur. But if he can see, realize as soon as those emotions start to rise in him, and, and he can say, wow, the CEO's talking to me, the friend is talking to me, the program person's talking to me, I must be afraid. Slam on the brakes and go to the card. Then he can get free of that and be connected to God. And whatever's supposed to happen will happen with love, kindness, and compassion.
1: Here's a quote from a book that says, Be in the world but not of the world. I know what that means today. Right? I'm in the world to play the role that God has assigned, but I'm not attached to the role. You could take that all away from me. I don't care. It's not who I am. None of it is who I am. You know, I am followed by nothing. That's who I am. I am, and anything I tag on to that is who I'm not. That's what my inventory has shown me. See? So that's where you start to have peace. And, and some, some ease and you know what was the other one wear the world like a loose garment how do you do that you cannot do it attached to those ego states i.e. inventory in that state the wrongdoing of others fancy or real has the power to kill me see I experience it as though I'm fighting for my life you've heard several people around relationships and drinking and anger and rage why because they experienced it at that moment in time as though they're fighting for their life. Because it's defined who they think they are. It's, it's a tragedy. It's sad. Because it's not who we are. That's right. And here's the deal.
0: If you can be conscious, awake, and aware that this is going on, you've got a, tool, a new tool in your toolbox if you've done this work. So what do you do? You start to feel that tenseness in your chest. You know... You can feel the agitation. You can feel the blood pressure start to rise. If you're conscious of it, now you've got at least another chance before you open your mouth. Have I talked about the one second rule here? Oh, it's a great concept. Great concept. People, I heard this statement a lot lately. Time doesn't mean anything in AA. Right? We're all just one day sober. All right? Well, to try to pour a little oil on the water and, and settle this thing a little bit, I'm gonna give you an out. It's called the one second rule. For every year of sobriety, you get one more second, all right? So let's say I ask a, a guy with 30 days a question. Before I can even get the question out, he's already thought the answer in his head and his mouth is moving. Here comes the answer, zero time limit. There's no second at all. Person who's got one year sober, they might actually think for a second, but meanwhile their ego's still trying to formulate the answer, you know, so. I'm 20 years sober. Hopefully, I got 20 seconds before I respond, that I can be present in the moment. You get a second a year, folks. It's a great way to look at sobriety. So, however long you're sober, put it in terms of seconds before you respond to anything. You know, if somebody comes into you and says, "I'm taking your wife, your kids, your car, your house, all your money," and and pulls out a gun and says, "I'm gonna take your life," before you react, count those seconds. Get centered. Be peaceful in the moment with God, and the right answer will come. You know, the big books, or the 12 and 12 says, nothing pays off like restraint of tongue and pen. It's in that order for a reason. We have a hard time biting our tongue. So now that you've got this tool of, of being able to recognize, because you're getting up on your 10th and 11th, we'll be talking a lot about this tomorrow, with that word watch, and you see the character, and you go to your second step card, And, you know, your second step proposition, you say, okay, God, I'm feeling this fear. Please remove it from me and help me to be this, 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 and this. A lot of people then get jammed up if this, 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 and this doesn't happen right away. And there's a tool that the old timers used. It was part of the Oxford group. It's called the four absolutes. You almost never hear about the four absolutes anymore. And we're going to take a quick break. Before we take the break, I'm going to hand out the four absolute exercise. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the four absolutes. It's another four step tool. Once you get your uh once you get your hand out, then uh let's we'll take a, a 15 minute break. All right.
1: Good stuff.
0: Great stuff. Uh, I have been talking about uh, the characters and um want to know where they get the characters and the whole nine yards. Uh, I do have, you know me, I'm anal. Uh, yes, I do have a list of characters on my computer. Unfortunately, I don't think I have it on my laptop in the other room, so uh, you're going to have to email me. And if anybody does want to email me, um, my, uh, my email address is uh, aadave1 at aol.com. I'll say that again. It's aadave1. That's the numeric one an American character one, at AOL.com. I always feel sorry for A.A. Dave because he gets a lot of bizarre emails. But, uh... um, No, I don't know him. I wish I did. You know? I'd I'd like to have a conversation with the boy and see see what he gets. Um, Anyway, that's the deal. Um, Before the break, we were talking about uh, characters and we were talking about... uh, um, what goes on inside the mind and the ego and somebody, a couple of quick things that people came up that had questions somebody said I started out by talking about four things she said there's the body and then there's the mind and then there's the ego but where's the last one and I said well you were so concerned about the body and the mind and the ego you missed the last one which was the present moment the present moment is the only place that the spirit can be I know it went by fast but that's number four if you're, in, if you're in the present moment, that's the only place you can be consciously contacted to God is in the present moment. That's where your spirit lives. It's kind of an interesting concept because, you know, for your ego to survive, it needs past and future. It doesn't survive in the present because it can't be in the control in the present because that's where spirit is. And spirit doesn't need time. It can care less. If you believe like I believe, your spirit's going to go on forever. So it's timeless. It doesn't care about time. Time means nothing to the spirit. That's why... The question needs to be asked, where's the only place that time doesn't exist? In the present moment. Because it's timeless. Because as soon as you get to this present moment, oh, it's just now we're in the next, oh, now we're in the next, oh. Like that, all right? Um, Another woman came up to me and she said, you know, last night when you were talking, you said that you know maybe that some of this would touch something and we'd have this experience. And she goes, I woke up horizontal across my bed this morning. And I tossed and turned all night long. She goes, and then you made that, you know, this morning you started talking about crying. And she goes, and I was over in the back crying. And she goes, and now, she goes, I feel like I got a lump in the middle of my stomach. And I said, yeah. (laughs) Oops, hello. I don't think that's the expression she was looking for. And I said, what's got you? And she said, well, it's it's the job issues. And she went on about a couple different things. And I said, okay. That's the area of your life you're not willing to give over to God. It's the job issue. What are you afraid of? Write out those fears and then look at what God wants you to be. Then do what's on page 68. Offer the fears to God. Ask Him to remove those fears because you get rid of your own fears. Ask God to direct your attention to what He would have you be and ask God to show you how to be that and then be it right now. Well, if that doesn't do it for you and the fears continue to creep back and you keep praying, you get into that cycle and you're wondering what's next... There's more action that you can take, and that's what the four absolutes come from. All right. I copied some, most of this from the uh, there's a pamphlet that's put out by the Cleveland Cleveland Central Committee Intergroup has a pamphlet called Four Absolutes. All right. And uh, I didn't want to reprint the whole pamphlet, but I, I stole parts of it from here. And it says, uh, What do the four absolutes mean to most of us? Word words are tools, like any other tools. They get rusty and corroded when not used. More importantly, we must familiarize. Blah, blah, Talking in tongues again. Familiarize ourselves with the tools and understand them and ever improve our skill in their use. Else, the end product, of any, is pathetically poor. Just like everything else we've been talking about, you've got tools in your toolbox that you've known are there, but you didn't know how to use them, you weren't comfortable with them, so you haven't been using them. Just like brushing your teeth with the other hand. All right? The next quote comes, uh, you know, I, I put in parentheses. Anytime you see parentheses in anything I write, The parenthesis means that it's me speaking, not something that I'm quoting from. I said, it's written about the absolutes, but uh, this is true of the principles of AA, the steps, the traditions, the the concepts, the absolutes, the ninth step, and the family afterward principles. Any tools you don't use will get rusty. So why not use them, you know? Um, As Bill sees it from page 106, for myself, I try to seek out the best, the truest definition of humility that I can. Perfect humility, would be full willingness in all times and places to find and do the will of God. Hmm, sounds like we've been talking about all weekend. When I mediped, meditate on, upon such a vision, I only need to dwell on the vision itself, letting it grow and ever more fill my heart. This done, I can compare it with the last taken personal inventory. When I get a sane and healthy idea of where I stand on the highway to humility, I see that my journey towards God has scarce begun. And I thus get down to my right size and stature. My self-concern and importance become amusing. So if you're having a hard time and you're all for clent about this deal and you're, the hamster's getting back on the wheel and you've tried the, the fear tool and you've, you've given the fears to God and you've said, God, help me to be courageous. Bill not just said, get a vision of what that looks like in your mind. What does it look like? The tool that I turn to is the four absolutes. Absolute honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity. If I can go out and take direction, what does the big book say? It says, when all else fails, go out and work with another alcoholic. Well, what are you doing? You're being honest to him. You're sharing the true nature of your disease, right? You're being loving because the guy's probably got puke all over him and he smells and you probably really don't want to do that. but You know you need to, but you don't really feel like it, all right? You're being honest, you're being loving, you're being pure to the true nature of of integrity, of what you know. You're rising to the occasion, even if it's inconvenient. You're living the absolutes. That's why it always works. The four absolutes, in my experience, work under any condition. But most people don't know what the four absolutes are. Absolute honesty. Here's a definition I took out of the dictionary. Candid, direct, forthright, open, and sincere. It's there in the parentheses. And then I, I stole some of the quotes from the pamphlet from the Four Absolutes. Our sobriety is a gift, but honesty is a grace that we must earn and constantly fight to protect and enlarge. Over and over we must ask ourselves, is it true or is it false? For honesty is the eternal search for truth. It is by far the most difficult of the Four Absolutes for anyone, but especially for us in this fellowship. The problem drinker develops genuine artistry and deceit. that sound like anybody in here? You know? You know, I used to think I had a problem with honesty. I have absolutely no problem with honesty. I have a problem with dishonesty. I tell lies. I'm dishonest. But my ego had convinced me that I had a problem with honesty. Honesty is easy. You get instant results. It's the fact that I don't want the results, so I'm not going to be honest. Control. All right? Any intended violation of honesty stabs the health of not only the doer, but the whole fellowship. Uh Uh-uh. How's that for a powerful statement? Like sobriety, it's power of example that does the job. It's much simpler to appear honest than to be honest. Truth is life and falsity is spiritual death. It's an everlasting, unrelenting instinct for truth that counts. Honesty is not a policy. It has to be a constant state of mind. We must strive to be in reality what we appear to be. The real future in honesty lies in the persistent, dedicated striving for it. And once again, as Bill sees it from page 173, sometimes we need to place love ahead of indiscriminate factual honesty. We cannot, under the guise of perfect honesty, cruelly and unnecessarily hurt others. Always one must ask, what is the best and most loving thing I can do? So, I'm going to let Mark talk about honesty and then we're going to sit down and we're going to get a vision and we're going to write about what does it look like in my life for me to be truly, factually, purely honest to myself and those about me.
1: Uh I have a question. How, how many of you would uh attend a weekend workshop somewhere with the sole focus being the fourth and fifth step? Okay, that's food for thought that came to me during the break. So uh uh the way you get experience with the fourth and fifth step is is to do it. Uh, the way I got experience with <laughs> With inventories, I've written a lot of inventory. Uh, when I got out of the nuthouse in 91, uh, my little sabbatical of 10 years, um, <laughs> the, my truth was this. I just saw that I had not made this a way of life. Uh, the big book was very clear to me. For example, in the 10-step. They're very strict spiritual disciplines. I'm to do every day. Uh, and they are laid out. I'm supposed to pray and meditate every morning my book says right I didn't do that I prayed I didn't meditate my first 10 years Um, there's all kinds of 10-step practices that I wasn't doing and all kinds of 11-step practices that I wasn't doing and uh, so at any rate uh, having finally at 10 years sober made that third step decision and and really having a sense of what that was about uh, the willingness brought about by almost committing suicide at 10 years sober Uh, Over the next two years, I worked and reworked the first nine steps four times and I discovered reams of unwritten inventory. Uh, And I discovered a lot of unfinished amends that I had never seen before as a result of not writing enough inventory. And uh, Then I also began to, it was suggested to me, uh, our big book when it comes to a fifth step, it says deal with person or persons, plural so it was suggested to me by a man long time sober that I consider doing what he called a multiple fifth step which is you take some inventory and you read it to five different people and I begin to do all that and uh, my life began to change in ways I could not believe Uh, and because here's why it's in the fourth and fifth step that you get totally detached from ego that mind made false sense of self and you really begin to experience who you really are who you were before you came into this body and who you will be afterwards the sixth sense, call it spirit, call it being whatever you call it and it's only from having conscious awareness of that part of you that you can begin to go through life with some sense of peace regardless of your life situation we talked about that, you know what breaks what what drunks what we always seem to be talking about is our life situation I know what it's like to be consumed with your life situation and be missing out on your life you understand what I just said? (laughs) it's no fun uh, it's just truly really not any fun, because what I'm consumed with, I can't do anything about. But even though I try, so a lot of work with the fourth and fifth step. I've been, you know, I. Anyone says that to me, you know, what do you do? I said, well, <laughs> I've done a lot of work with steps four through nine. I mean, a lot of work. Uh, last year, I don't know, I wrote inventory probably five times last year, right? and I stay pretty current, right? Um, well, we're into this year, I've I've already done uh, one inventory this year, and I just recently started a workshop, and I'll be doing another one. Uh, why do I do that? Because I like the effect reduced by it. So uh, uh, the key is to do it, though. you got to do the writing. Uh, one other thing, and I'll talk a little about honesty. In working with some people in the East Coast, uh, when they do column one, they call me and say, uh, okay, I'm done. I've got 1,200 names. Uh, <laughs>